Gary, I want to thank you for, for us doing this because this is going to be a special edition of the Anything But Typical show. And for me, it's a little bit selfish because I'm very interested in all the things that you've gone through and, and the stuff you're about to encounter uh, with the writing of your book, which okay. we've obviously talked a little bit about. We did yeah. the, the episode on the, on the imposter syndrome, which yeah. was a, a huge hit with listeners. So I want to be able to take people behind the scenes on some of the specifics, some of the tangibles. Yeah. Um, so before we jump into it, explain to the listeners, first off, of, of what you undertook and, and what you did. All right, cool. Well, I wondered if the world needed another book, and I wasn't convinced <laughs> that it really did. I'm still not. Yep. <laughs> the world is awash in books. But a conversation that I had with a very successful CEO about three years ago, not quite, I had coached her and her team at an inflection point, but at the time she had 10,000 W-2 employees, she has 12,000 now, and she made this statement to me because she was on the Anything But Typical podcast, and she I have was. a feeling it was when we had that conversation. It was like right after we had her on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she said, Gary, I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, are you kidding me? You know. 10,000 W-2 employees. And I'm like, why would you say that? And she said, I only have a two-year secretarial degree. And I said, Tana, it doesn't, who cares? You know, I mean, you run circles around all of these that yep. have great credentials, MBAs from notorious places. And I said, I think I know what that is. I think that's imposter syndrome. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you're, uh, you're right. And that night, or shortly thereafter, I remember thinking, man, there's a pattern here. Every, almost every CEO that has ever dropped their guard with me, not just those that I've coached, but those that I've either served or been parts of groups with, where we had 300 of them in our private equity group, that I got to know their stories quite well. Right. That was a common theme. They thought they got lucky, they thought they weren't good enough, they thought they were less than, and they felt inferior to other people, like they weren't deserving. And I thought, man, this is really crazy. And I felt that way for most of my life, even as a kid, even as a kid. Yeah. So I thought, I'm gonna maybe just write down some of my own journey with that and sprinkle in some stuff that we had heard from people on the podcast that yep. we knew, right? And then, but before I did that, I reached out to a guy who had launched a book called the, um, what was it? It was The Gift of Adversity, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And he had done this really cool book launch and whatever, and his story is unbelievable. And so I reached out to him because we were in a LinkedIn group together. And I said, hey, you did this. I remember, I mean, he went to Las Vegas was in a helicopter and, you know, right. like slow motion. Like, it was really cool theatrics, right? Mm -hmm. And the book was really good. And I said, do you have some words of wisdom that you could give me? And he said, yeah. So he gave me a list of about four questions that I really needed to get honest at, like, and really answer before I started writing it. Okay. So I had that in the front, like, my first page before I started writing. So that's where I started. It was in August of 2021 when I started on our 
38th wedding anniversary trip to the beach. <laughs> I'm like, hey, honey, I want to just do some writing in the evening. And she's cool with that because I'm usually writing anyway in the evening. And I started down kind of my story, and I thought, I'm just going to write some of my story first. Yep. And from that story, I thought, well, if nothing else, my kids, who know a lot of it, but they don't know everything, or maybe even grandkids at some point, you know, they would want to read it. And then I kind of got stuck. I felt like, is this even, you know, imposter syndrome? Yeah. What am I doing? You know, who am I yeah, fooling? Yeah, you're writing the book on this, not because you don't have imposter syndrome, <laughs> right. but because you live it and you've seen so many other people live it too. Yeah, and, exactly. And to your, your comment about Tana having that when or around the time yeah. of coming on the podcast, we've come across that a lot, right? Yeah. People making comments before or after the, the episode of, well, I feel like I don't belong because look at all the other people you've had yeah. on. Right? Yeah. And they're measuring themselves against somebody else, and they always feel like they are less. Yes. Pretty consistently, we've come across that. You nailed it. The, the issue of comparing, yeah. and it's only exacerbated by social media. Yep. Especially Instagram, all that. You've got people that are influencers that have millions, and then you've got, like, why do I only have eight? You know, I mean, yeah. those kind of things, a comparison. And so I actually, that... What I started realizing, so I put it down because I just kind of felt a little stuck. And then I started thinking about these patterns and these things that I found that were quite helpful in silencing that incessant yep. chirping of the imposter. Like, you, you, you aren't good enough. You don't know what you're doing. You're in over your head. If people just knew this or that about you, they'd reject you. All of those things. Mm-hmm. And then it became very apparent again so I'm like oh okay seven weapons and actually it was going to be six 5.5 is what I was going to do <laughs> I, I developed this thing and I put those at the front of the book and I because I thought I don't know that anybody really wants to hear my story because it's really not about my story it's about what what do you do if you're suffering from this and I never even considered myself as suffering from yeah. imposter syndrome but I in, inside, I was tormented by these feelings of inferiority. I'm not good enough. All these kind of things, and so I thought you could just read these seven weapons and be done pretty fast, like less than 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And these are quite effective because they've helped me tremendously. And usually, in some very difficult times, that they get unearthed. Yep. So I had that, and then it's like, hey, if you want to read my story, I've got Thrive Wither Clues from retrospectively looking back at my weird, anything but typical career path, which is weird and anything <laughs> but typical. But these clues that along the way that became very apparent to me, because that is one of the second, it's the second weapon. Wither, which is a simple T-chart on what makes you come alive versus what drains your tank. It's not strengths, weaknesses, because you can have strengths that are in your wither column, and that's usually the case, especially with CEOs mm-hmm. and leaders. Right, because those are the ones that you're going to hold on to the longest, because you've been told since you were yes. eight years old that you go into your strengths. It's like, oh, you're good at this, so you think you have to do it. And that's yes. one of the things when you first introduced me to the Thrive Wither, that was a real eye-opener of okay, I may be good at something, but 
it sucks my energy and it makes me bad at everything that I have to do after. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like your own handcuffs. You just put on handcuffs because you're good at it. Yep. And you develop some proficiency at it, but you, it brings you no joy. And actually, it just does the opposite, where it removes joy, it removes energy. And when that happens, guess what? The imposter starts getting louder. Mm-hmm. Like, you suck at this, you know, you're a loser, whatever. Just because you're good at it, it's like, if, if it's draining your tank and it's not giving you joy and energy, <laughs> when, when we're really in the zone, when we're in the flow of like what we love to do, we don't have time to even listen to the imposter right. because we're just too busy having yeah. fun, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. So anyway, that's, that's where some of that came through. And so I went to Jeffrey Gittimer, who's a friend. He was our number one publisher in the business journals mm-hmm. when I was bu- uh, president of bizjournals.com. Number one, hands down, top col- columnist. And he's a five-time best-selling author right. on the New York Times. So I said, Jeffrey, I don't know if this is any good, again, imposter, but, but honestly, I was just being honest. Yeah. And he will be brutally honest, like he's a friend, but he will F-bomb you and say, right. this is crap or worse. And no offense, but that's just how he rolls. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to just be... I'll get the straight well, and his insight is valuable too because he has been a multi-time New York Times yes. bestseller, so he has a different perspective. Right. I could read your book and be like, "Hey, Gary, it's great." Right. But he has a different <laughs> type of insight. Yeah, I didn't want any patronizing at all. I wanted somebody that is a good writer, etc. Mm-hmm. Here's what's funny: he's like, I don't know anything about imposter syndrome, and so <laughs> he's one of those rarities that's super self-confident. Yep. Usually those that don't suffer from imposter syndrome may be like Jeffrey or they may be narcissists or they may be sociopaths Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm convinced that they are not self-aware. Now, I'm I'm not saying that's Jeffrey at all, but- No, because there there are exceptions to the rule. Of course there are, of course there are. And so he calls his wife, Jen was coming up from Charleston and he goes, hold on. So I'm at his menagerie, he has all these, flats at the old Lance Cracker factory, just okay. a few blocks yep. from here. And uh, and that's where he likes to meet. Like So I, I was over there, and he goes, hold on. So he calls Jen, and she goes, oh, gosh, it's huge. You know, I was just dealing with, uh, I was coaching with a CEO, a female, that said, Jen, I'm suffering from imposter syndrome. Like, he goes, wow, okay, hold on. He said, today's your lucky day. I've got a meeting with one of my publishers. So he said, we're going to put you on Zoom. I'm like, okay. Yep. Which, like, as he says, serendipity happens when God chooses to remain anonymous. That was kind of one of those serendipitous moments, at least that I thought. And the publisher validated, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a big deal. Okay, cool. So he said, I want to read it, and then I'll still give you my feedback, because he hadn't read the manuscript yet. Okay. He read it, and I still have his text, which is really cool. He's like, you're very good this has potential Mm -hmm. and he said I'm gonna make those additional intros so he did and I thought oh this is gonna be great well it was until it wasn't (laughs) because I got ghosted by the first one that he introduced me to so before we go into that right what your options were and things like that 
Um, I want to go back to something you talked about earlier. Uh, you reached out to Marcus Aurelius Anderson, yeah. and he gave you four things that you needed to get straight before yeah. you started writing. Yeah. What were those four things? Do you remember? Well, you know, of course, I'm going to have brain fog right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can give us one uh, or two then. <laughs> so one of the, the, the biggest things is like, does the world actually need this? Mm-hmm. You know, is this just about you or is it because there's a real need out there? That was probably the number one thing. Okay. You know, it, if it's just a passion project of yours, great, but maybe it doesn't resonate. And that's what, what I struggled with initially was because it's not like we all have interesting stories, all of us, mm-hmm. every one of us. That's why we did the podcast, right? Right. But realizing that pattern, going back to that Tana conversation again, mm-hmm. you know, I've got an, another friend that we brought in. He was, he was the first client I brought into BGW. He's got two or three companies. And he works 10 hours a week and plays golf the rest of the time and he's not even he's in his early 40s and he said the same thing i really don't know what i'm doing i don't have any education blah 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 he's also been on the podcast (laughs) i said brent why would you say that i don't have any formal education boom again Mm -hmm. standards of everybody else we think everybody else that's a CEO or a founder or whatever has these, you know, amazing credentials. They're proficient in all of these things. They're, you know, a combination of Einstein, Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk. You Everyone know? except you. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so that was the thing that I just kept coming back to. Like, it's not about me. And it really isn't about me. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, my kids may enjoy that part. But you've got to be, like, I have no problem being really buck naked on some of this stuff because I've been just ground down when I was trying to have the facade up of trying to be somebody I wasn't. Yeah, of course. And now I'm like, I really don't care. Yeah. It makes my wife a little uncomfortable because she's a lot more guarded, you know. And, I, and I've gotten burned tremendously by being so vulnerable at times. But... I still think that it helps people because when other people, and that's actually weapon number three, shine a light on it, which is expose the stuff you don't want exposed. Yeah. And that, man, that takes courage. Um, it's, it's very scary, actually, but it's, man, it's liberating for you and somebody else. Yep. Um, so I want to go back to that one piece of advice uh, that, that he had given you of does is this for yourself or is this something that the world needs yeah, right uh, because you had the conversation with Tana yeah you started writing you started going through it and then you had a pause yeah so talk to us a little bit about that pause that reservation during your writing process yeah I think the pause was okay so I've documented my progression from being a little kid suffering from it you know one of the world's worst baseball players and having migraines where we didn't even know that that I didn't even know the term migraine but I had a migraine because I sucked so bad at it you know as a kid little kid but you take that to my weird career trajectory that has taken me all over the place okay that's great but then then it was like but who really cares I mean not to be self-deprecating but really who 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 really cares mm-hmm. 
But then I, one of the things that I am really good at doing is finding patterns. And then I started realizing, oh man, these are the, these lessons that I've learned that actually have silenced it. And it's not just one, it's usually a combination but those are the things. And so when I went back to Gittimer and I had 5.5, which we were really six, he goes, well, I have that trademarked, anything 0.5. So if you read anything with <laughs> Gittimer, it's like 3.5 steps to do this or that, or it's 7.5, everything's 0.5. And he actually has it trademarked. So he goes, I'm not letting you use that. It's <laughs> a good of a friend, is I'm like, okay. So he goes, no, I'm protecting that. But he said, you got six. Seven's a better number anyway, and it is a number of completion. And I go, I already know what the seventh one is. So no problem. Yep. Which is, seventh one is find somebody outside the jar to help you read the label. Mm -hmm. Outside perspectives. Yep. Um, and there's tremendous benefit in that. And I've lived it, I've experienced it on both sides of that table. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've repeated your saying <laughs> of you can't, read the, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've repeated that probably more than any, any Garyism you've ever said. <laughs> well, I wish I could claim credit for it, but it was actually one of Robert Fish's clients that I was also working with, but a coaching client. And this guy is ex extremely bright and extremely successful. It was a, a private, in, or a, he was an investment banker before, mm -hmm. did extremely well. And I said, just asking you, like, why do you have Robert in the ring? Because Robert and I weren't, neither one of us were cheap. And he goes, oh, that's easy. It's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. And I heard that and I yeah. said, dude, that's a money line. Can I use that? He right. said, absolutely, it's not mine. <laughs> so, but it's true. It's just that the power of an outside perspective. Yep, which is most business, right? Like you just take what somebody else has done yeah. and you make it your own. We all, we all share different of ideas. Course. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's move forward again. You were talking about the first experience with the publisher. So before we dive into what you actually did, yeah, lay out for the listeners that haven't gone through this. What are what were your different options, right? Because there's self-publishing, there's publishers. Yeah. What what were your options there? So I thought I'm going to just go behind Jeffrey Gittimer's wake, you know, just be in yep. his wake, right? Which is not a bad wake Whew. to follow. Yeah, that's a great one. Yep. So first publisher ghosts me. And I, after a couple months, I'm like, hey, Jeffrey, what's up with these guys? You know, do I really suck or, you know, what's the deal? And he's like, no, they've got some shakeup going on in management. I'm going to introduce you to another publisher. Because what's interesting is he bought all the rights back of his best-selling books. Okay. Not a cheap endeavor. No. And he's done quite well. So I thought, well, okay. So, but he has used a number of publishers. So he goes, I'm going to introduce you to another one. It's a big one. I'm not going to use names because I just don't want to. Yeah, that's it fine. doesn't really matter. But a big one. And so he makes a warm intro. Grateful for that. I hear back from one guy and it's basically he kind of poo-poos me. And so I go back to Jeffrey. I'm like, you know, this is what I'm running into. You know, I wasted a year <laughs> dealing with this, right? right. So um, I go back and he goes, I'm going to introduce you to one of the top guys over there. And he did. And I got a call back from this guy, which I really appreciate that. And he said, listen, we're probably going to re regret this decision. It's a really good book. It's timely, 
there's a need out there, but you don't have a million followers. And I said, no, I don't. Yeah. And what I found since then is every major publisher that's you know notable, they have an expectation, it's ROI. Can I sell, is this guy or gal gonna sell 10,000 books in the first week? Are they out there speaking? And at the time I had only spoken twice on this. Okay. So, and you know, National Association of Women Business Owners, and then also for a two-day event at another guy that was on the podcast with Arthur Elliott. They were doing an open house, and yep. so I was speaking at that. So I didn't have a whole lot. So I kind of feel stuck again. And fast forward, like probably a month or so, this was in March, late March, I was speaking at New Canaan Society, not about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. They wanted a 30 minute of my journey. So I did, and this guy, Emilio Guevara, comes up to me afterwards, I'd never known him. He's been on the podcast too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Gary, with his uh, Bronx accent, yep. we need to have some coffee. I said, okay. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know anything about him. I don't know his background or anything. Mm -hmm. And then when we have coffee together or tea, he says, listen, I work with speakers and with CEOs, usually that are on the tail end or retiring or have retired, that want to tell their story and want to get it out. And he said, all over the world. And he said, you need to be, like your story is so good, you need to write a book. And I said, I actually have. And yeah. he didn't know that. Yeah. And he said, I said, it's on imposter syndrome. And he goes, well, no, but I mean your story. And I said, well, some of my story is actually in there and it's pretty vulnerable. And he said, send me the manuscript. I'd really like to read it. So he did and he got back with me and he said, I've got Joe Foster who's also been on the podcast, founder of Reebok, who he is handling all of his North American you know, like, uh, tours. Yeah. The guy's 88 years old, doing a great job. And so I get to share the stage with Joe Foster in May here in Charlotte. And now I'm gonna do it again on October 17th in Boston and then also on the 26th here in Charlotte. And so while we're at this leadership and resiliency conference that is a half day event at CPCC in May, I was talking to Joe and to his wife, Jill, because I really loved his book. I liked it better than Shoe Dog, and I like Shoe Dog. Mm -hmm. But his authenticity and some of the, like his story was really amazing. Yep. He had been published with Simon & Schuster big publisher outside of the US I think in 12 countries and then they self-published in the US and I said why'd you do that and they said well for a number of reasons but if we were going to do it all again we would go with an independent publisher I said really what okay. you know like what's that yep and basically it's a publisher that will take you through the process but you own the rights you you pay them yeah so it's more expensive than if you self-publish. Yeah, you can go onto Amazon, but it's kind of like ordering a kit jet and having it delivered with a semi to your front, you know, mm -hmm. your garage, and then good luck with putting that sucker together. Right. It, that's how it feels. Because yeah. there's a lot more to it than I had any clue. 
And so I said, well, would you make an intro? And they said, yeah. So I met Alicia Dunham's with Authors Unite and like she was really buttoned up. And I had also then talked with some other independent publishers that I just kind of threw the, the lines out. And of course, everybody in the independent publishing world thinks that it's great because yeah. you're paying them you got to it. do it. Yep. <laughs> so, hey, it's great. Yeah, their ROI is built a little differently than exactly. one of the major ones. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, because they're not outlaying capital you got and it. betting on you, mm -hmm. they're just taking your money and like, yeah, if you want to get it out there. So I tabled it again because at that same time I got a call from a friend who was an editor of some pretty prestigious publications in New York. He's uh, got a master's in behavioral psychology from Harvard, way smarter than me. And he says, Gary, this is really good and this is the best draft I, I've, I think I've ever read. But it needs to be another 150 pages, because right now my book is 160-some pages. Mm -hmm. And he said, I would like to co-author it with you. You can be the headliner on it, but I think it's a bestseller. And I think it's, you, you know, we could be on Oprah on this thing. It's, it's huge. And I said, well, how much time are we waiting? You know, like, how much longer do I have to wait? Yep. A year. I said, well, listen, man. My concern is I don't want to change the cover, not because I did the cover, but it's like a resting. I mean, it's, I think it's good. Um, and I don't want to lose my voice. That's my fear. And if it becomes not fun, like I'm going to punch out. Yep. So we went through a process just on like the introduction. He said, I'm going to give you 14 questions. I want you to give me a paragraph on each one of these things. I dutifully went through it and I just want to have fun. And it's like, I feel like I'm getting the energy sucked out of me. Right. And so finally I, I went back to him and I said, listen, man, I appreciate that. It's like, I don't care about splitting it or whatever, like if we were going to do that, but I feel like I'm outsourcing my voice a little bit. I feel like I'm losing my voice yep. and I'm just going to do, I said, what happens if I actually do it, self-publish or indie publish? And then we do this other thing. He goes, well, first of all, 75% of the publishers will immediately say, persona non grata, we're not interested. You've already done it. Yeah. The other 25% or whatever is going to ask you the first question, well, how many books did you sell? Oh, I sold, you know, a thousand. They're like, don't ever call us again. Yeah. So I have no delusions of grandeur. Am I going to sell one book? Am I going to sell a million? I don't know. Probably not a million, but I don't, who knows? Right. You never know. That's not why I wrote it. So I, I went back to him and I said, listen, man, I really appreciate your process and what you're trying to do, but I'm not having any joy in doing it. Mm -hmm. I just want to get this thing out. I won't get it out in time for the speaking engagements, but I've just let it languish for a year. And I keep hearing, so after I talked it, in, in May, all these people came up to talk to me. I mean, there was a line of people wanting to talk because they, they wanted to tell me their story. Yes. Oh yeah. It's a topic that resonates with a lot of people out there and nobody talks about it. So yeah. everybody deals with it by themselves in their own mind because they don't feel like they can bring it up. And you're yeah. shining a light on it like one of the steps. Yeah. And it's freeing other people 
that are yeah. hearing you speak and eventually reading the book that it, it's going to enable them or empower them is probably a better word to actually address it and have a conversation with people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So what I found, this is really interesting. I've got a couple friends that paid somebody to write their books. Yep. And actually Joe paid a, a, a ghostwriter to take his story. And it's, it's a well-written book and it's like his story, it's really cool. So you can do it and not lose your voice, I think, in the process. But it can be very expensive. I've got one friend that's dropping 120 grand on it. And by the way, you can be a guaranteed WSJ bestseller. Right. Like there's a pay to play scheme and oh, like follow the money. Definitely. I also found out from Alicia, they have a $200,000 fee, 200, but you're guaranteed to be a New York Times bestseller on the audiobook for 200 grand. Okay. Well, some CEOs that have more money than sense they're going to do it or more money than time. Yep. Okay, cool. That is not my case. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been shoe, shoe stringing this whole thing on my, my own mm -hmm. merits and on my own money. So I, I just don't have that kind of a war chest, nor would I, because I'm like, it, it's not really yeah. worth it. And I've got another friend that I know, he's on his second book and he's got a ghostwriter again. But the first one, I think he paid close to 40 grand without all the promotion and all the guaranteed, you know, bestseller stuff yeah. or whatever. And I'm not even convinced he read, read the whole <laughs> the whole book <laughs> because he's got books uh, galore where he starts and maybe goes up to 15 pages and then he's bored. Mm -hmm. But here's another thing, I, I went to him, he's in a mastermind group with me and he's in California. And he wrote me back, he goes, Gary, th this is, I think, the first book that I can remember ever reading the entire well, thing. And he said, I couldn't put it down. And he knew a lot of my story, but he, there was a lot that he didn't know. Yep. I'm like, why? He goes, yeah, you need to, you need to publish this thing. Okay. So that was a, a year ago. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where that has progressed and realizing, okay, I'm not going to pay to play but I need somebody that can actually do it. So I went back to Alicia and I said, listen, I, I don't have the money to go, you know, buy bestseller, you know, <laughs> status on Amazon or on WSJ. It could happen, but that's not, you're not going to pay purpose. for it. I'm not going right. to pay for it. And it's not like you can, you could spend enough marketing money or whatever to get the exposure to make it happen. But I said, I just want to get this thing done. I want to get it done right. Yep. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Right. Can you be my Sherpa? That's really what I need. I need a Sherpa. And can you shoot me a price? And she did. She, she was very gracious on that. But it was, it was, a lot of it was because of Joe Foster and Jill, you know, making the intro. Yep. And I really appreciate that. So finally, it's going to see the light of day. <laughs> so now that you've gone through the entire process you haven't gone through the release part yet but right. you've done everything up to that point in the reflection any any takeaways any things that you think somebody else possibly going down this endeavor needs to hear yeah that's a good question um i think first of all whether you have enough money to do it and pay somebody else to do it don't outsource your voice it has to be you. And go back to that question, does the world really need it? Yeah. 
or what's the motivation really? And we can, we can talk ourselves into a lot of stuff, I, I'm convinced of that, but you have to get really honest about that. And then, then secondly, whatever path, make sure that it's right for you because any of those paths could be good. I just had to go, you know, what's feeling right for me? Yeah. And then find somebody that you can actually trust because when we got into this process, Alicia put me into base camp, which is a like a project management thing. Like it's amazing. Okay. So she's she's like, you need an ISBN number. Like, where do I go for that? Yeah. Go to Boker, you know, and oh, so you can buy one or you can buy ten. Well, you gotta have one for each if it's a hardcover, which I'm not doing, but a paperback, audiobook, ebook, separate ISBN numbers. Yep. Well, so it's like 80 bucks or 100 or 300 bucks, you know, for 10. So I'm like, I guess I got to buy 10. Right. So I do that. But so she gives me this checklist of, all right, this is what you got to do. You need, an, I had an intro, but you need an acknowledgments. Oh, okay. You need a back cover. You need, and the, so she gave me some examples of stuff, even like on Amazon, you have a, a book trailer that she sent me some examples and these look like motion picture, yeah. like highly produced, right, right. extremely expensive. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> but then I see Trevor Noah as one of the examples and it's just like a static camera. And he's like, hi, this is Trevor Noah. I want to talk about my book. So my last book, and unfortunately, I die. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's funny, but I'm like, oh, well, I can do that. Mm -hmm. So things that I had no idea, this is what I need to do. And so she's like, get pictures, get, get your book. Because I said, I want to replicate this cover. And I've got my images that I've done on my phone, you know, right. <laughs> and uh, uploaded those things and so she has just been really good so we we touch base a couple times a week sometimes more often if need be and my thought was okay I've got this thing the manuscript is done I had taken it through Grammarly every like each chapter in each section I would take it and run it through Grammarly Grammarly gets it at war with Word every once in a while on certain stylistic things like what's right I don't know so finished all that and I thought I'm done boom it's ready to roll it's I've taken it through spell check I've taken it through Grammarly I've taken it through all this stuff yeah. but I actually wrote it I didn't have somebody else do it so she said great we're gonna edit it you know so she ran it through editing and there were really no issues like she had some style things where I use all caps she's like no it goes against Chicago style guide you've got to go italics and lowercase okay teach me yeah m dashes i had spaces at before and after m dashes stupid stuff like that that's like i don't know um so she was really good but then they sent it to typesetting and i'm familiar with that because i was a designer like yeah. oh, okay great well there are all kinds of things that happen during typesetting and they they ship that to india Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, we get back some stuff that has like don't and instead of an apostrophe T, it's a D-O-N greater than T. It's inserting a carrot. I'm like, what? You know, so all of a sudden now you got to be watching out for stuff. 
So that has been a huge thing because I've I've gone through the, a stack. This you know, for anybody listening, is probably six inches deep of manuscripts of, of just galleys, mm-hmm. uh, and that's two pages per sheet. Right. You know, um, from the typesetter, and looking at this, and man, you, your eyes start glazing. And I thought, okay, and proofing is in my wither zone. Period. I thought, all right we're done, we, we get it locked down last Thursday, and a friend of mine who worked for me a long time ago, very detailed, very good proofer, she hits me up at 11 o'clock last night and said, she's got three pages of like, comma needs to be in front of this instead of that, and like, you don't have to keep repeating this thing because you've already established like mergers and acquisitions in parentheses M&A. Well, after you've established that, you can use M&A yep. the other four times in the book. Things like that, that had, they aren't incorrect, but it's like stylistically. Mm-hmm. And after seeing that, I'm like, oh man, so I'm gonna delay the, the book launch by a week because I want it right. You know, yeah. it will never be perfect. She told me today, she said, Tim Ferriss, after the book had been released, went through six more rounds of Editions because he found typos and stuff. Tim Ferriss. Yep. And believe me, he paid some money. <laughs> like oh, somebody, sure. you know, uh, somebody probably published him, but like these are no slouches. Right. But it happens because we have human eyes looking at this mm-hmm. thing, and you can't find, you can't run AI through a PDF, and it won't yeah. see some of these things. So. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> right. So, some. Although ChatGPT can now, but it's not to the same extent that you're going to want it to be. Yeah. But we're close. So maybe your next book, that's what you can do. Well, <laughs> here's what. So I have to upload this thing on Amazon. And normally she does it. But when you do it in KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing, you use your Amazon login. Well, I've lost almost a million dollars to people that I've really, really trusted. And I'm like... I really don't want somebody to have access to all my Amazon yeah. passwords and stuff. Love you, Alicia, but no, just tell me what I need to do. Yep. So one of the questions on there was, did AI do any of the writing? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? Wow. Yeah. So it's already yep. apparent. I'm like, nope. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and you know other credits and stuff like it's it's really interesting that whole process so I'm actually glad that I went through that but I I have uploaded everything and then I've actually unpublished it now because I'm going to change and get some of these three pages of little nits corrected because I want it as right as possible so So that makes sense Um, okay so you said you delayed it so share with everybody when is the actual release date and then where can people go for the different yeah. versions? Yeah, so it'll be October 10 instead of October 4 unless we run into another I was going to say <laughs> we may have to edit this after the fact, but let's go yeah. with October We 10 said October. Sometime in October. That's right. Um, and we've got this big event that you and I are doing for our first 100 guests yep. on October the 25th at the Whitewater Center. And I really wanted to have some books for them. I don't know that I will because what, what happens is when you order your author's copy, so when this, this thing is live, I could order it, so we're gonna be kinda quiet about it once it, it's up. 
but I can order and I'll have it in two days but with Prime. Yep. But if you want to order a bunch of copies, so then I get it at my direct cost. So the direct cost is like three bucks for the printing. Got it. And then Amazon gets 40% of the, the difference. I get 60% of the difference after the $3 or yeah. whatever it is for paying. But if you want to order 100 copies or 200 copies or whatever, 1,000 copies, um, you pay that and you pay the shipping and it's a four week delay. So that's why we were pushing so hard. To get it earlier. Right, because I really wanted to have that, but I said, you know, if they can't hit it, they can't hit it. What, I'd rather not give something that I know. Now that I know, yeah. it's different than ignorance being bliss. That's right, that's right. So, <laughs> yeah, once yeah. you know that there's things that need to be fixed, yeah, especially knowing you, you're gonna take care of that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, but then it'll be available on Amazon and uh, you know the what's interesting too is like the whole system it's kind of like the algorithm of LinkedIn or algorithm on Instagram or whatever I don't know really the algorithm on either one of them because they keep changing them but there's a certain period of time where they're looking for reviews that are purchased so I've got a number of people that I'm gonna actually say hey would you be part of my launch team and would you get this book before it officially releases and would you read it because it's a two-hour read like it's yeah. not a huge thing and some of them have read the manuscripts earlier you know a lot of them mm -hmm. would you write a review because amazon looks heavily at, at that yep. and then when you launch it they are looking for the amount in that day so the kindle and the so the Kindle will be about nine ninety seven, I think. There's something weird about ninety nine cents, like it, it's a quirk of Amazon, evidently. So it'll be okay. nine ninety five, I guess. Yep. And then this is her her suggestions, and then fourteen ninety five for the the paperback. And I said, well, what about audiobook? Well, that's a whole nother story because you want to be the one recording it, but Gittimer told me she, he said. It's going to be 10 hours of you recording mm -hmm. for a 160 page book so he said do it in like two hour increments because your voice will be tired right and it's exhausting because it has to be word for word based on the kindle yep oh wow okay cool and that's a whole nother series of multi thousands of dollars to do that and again you can have somebody do it for you and you can be an Amazon, or you can be a New York Times bestseller for two hundred thousand right. dollars. <laughs> um, but I'm going to be, you know, probably doing that. I said, so I said, when should I do that? She said, wait four to six months. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep. Again, how would you know this? You wouldn't until you've gone through it, or an expert like that who's gone through it lots of times with other people. Nineteen years is what she's been doing it. Yeah. So it's like, and I didn't want somebody that's been doing it for two or three years, like. She's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the the story, and we'll see. And I'm, you know, I'm marketing it myself because, you know, Jennifer and I are funding this thing, and it's you know, if we could break even, that would be a wonderful thing. But I'm not counting on any of that. It's like, yeah. all right, if it helps one person, it's an expensive but well worth investment. Yep. 
Well, and we already saw the proof of concept through the imposter syndrome episode we did because I know I received, and I think you did too, a good amount of feedback of they were glad that we were talking about yeah. this or they experience it but never talk about it. So, so we know just through that that it's on people's minds. They want somebody coming out and being vulnerable enough to talk about it. You know, so I'm going to release a post. So by the time this thing airs, it will have already gone up. Mm -hmm. But I got a, a note last week from LinkedIn from a probably the, the brightest copywriter I've ever hired. And so I ran an ad agency. That was my first turnaround. Yep. And I was a creative director. I was an art director. So I understand like that. That's the world that I came from. And this guy was so sharp. And so he reaches out to me and he says, hey, I can't wait for your book. I'm not angling for a free one. I want to buy it and I'd really like you to sign it. I've been dealing with this my entire life, always feeling less than. And he said, I've got eight years yet before I retire. Mm -hmm. Well, he's younger than me and I'm not going to retire. <laughs> so, all right, Steve. And he said, it's time to drag this thing out of shadows. And I said, and it, it was very moving. I, read, I said, Jennifer, read this. So she read it and she knows Steve. And I haven't worked with him for 30 years, <laughs> 30 years. Yep. And um, she goes, Gary, that might be the next book. These people, their stories that or I said, oh, that's a really good idea, Jennifer. Who knows if I even want to go through this process <laughs> again. But I said, Steve, hey, could I share this with other people? He said, man, I eat. I said, I, I won't do it without your permission, and you could be anonymous. And he said, just the fact that you had to even ask that proves why we need to do it. And that's when he said, it's time to drag this thing out of the shadows. Yeah. I'm like, that is the whole reason. Yep. That is the reason behind mm -hmm. this thing. It is, it's not because Gary Fry, nobody's going to remember. <laughs> My name ain't going to be on a building. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, even if it was, nobody remember. But if it helps somebody avoid decades of what I've dealt with, you know, hiding, oh yeah, I'm a college dropout. Man, I couldn't tell anybody that. Not at Bank of America. Yeah. You know, all Andy Hilliard, who I had to fire and is on our podcast, he's a great CEO running a big company. Yep. I had to fire him from that. He he's like, you know. He's a, a Northwestern MBA. He, he's got this amazing background. Here I am a college dropout. I can't tell anybody that. I didn't lie about it on my, uh, you know, my applications, but every job I've had, with the exception of my, of my first two out of college, were master's preferred, bachelor's required. And in every case, I got drug into running, being president of certain companies or turnarounds or in these Fortune 500 companies, it was because somebody circumvented the HR process. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, all right, I got lucky. Somebody did that, but what am I going to do when they're in somebody to rescue me and circumvent the HR process? Because I could apply thousands of times, and I've done it, online, and it never sees the light of day because of the algorithm is kicking me out. Yeah. So there's a lot of other people that way. And think of all the CEOs that you and I have talked to, the founders, mm -hmm. that yep. the algorithm would kick them out. Yeah, of course. 
and they're amazing. Yep. So hopefully it'll help somebody. Oh, I'm sure it will. So thanks, Gary. I appreciate you you giving us a little behind the scenes of, of the writing process, and I can't wait to see the, the ripple effect of, of it coming out. I hope so. Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate yeah, it. of course. It was questions that I wanted to ask anyway, so it's great. <laughs> there you put go. A, put a mic in front of us and let us go. <laughs> right. It's fun. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Yeah.